Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Amen. Remain standing just for just a little bit longer. Today I'm going to preach a sermon to you today called Beholding God Changes Us. My text is from John 1, 14 through 18. John 1, 14 says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, because he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for this special time where You speak to Your people. Lord, as one of Your people, I am longing to hear Your voice. I'm longing to hear You instruct my heart for my family as many are here to do the same. Speak to us, Lord. Show us the way that we may walk therein. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I told you before, the title of my message and the point, the one point, everybody say one point. The one point I would like to get across today is that beholding God changes us. Looking at God changes us looking face to face at the almighty should change us can we say amen, amen. i often have said this to my wife there is a perfect inoculation against pride and all that is is looking at god because when a man looks at god and sees his greatness in His glory, in His power, in His holiness, how can he look at himself with pride? Alistair Begg, I caught literally two minutes of his sermon this week. I was in the car and he said these words and I literally was like, want to turn the radio off because I'm like, I don't want to hear anything else, but just that, that's all I need. 
And I'll try to say it like he said it. He said, the proud man looks down on others. And so he never sees God. Did you hear that? The proud man is looking down on others. So he never sees God. When we turn our gaze off of men and up to God, then we become humble in his presence. My purpose today is to help us understand why we have just spent the last year and a half, 74 weeks so far, talking about the life of one man. Talking about the life of a man whose entire public ministry was only three and a half years long. We may approach three years preaching every Sunday about this man. Why did we do this? We peer into every aspect of what he did, how he did it, why he did it, even when and where he did it. What I hope that you will see is this, that beholding God changes us and we need to look at Christ. We need to see his life. It needs to be preeminent in our mind. It needs to be the preeminent focus on our life. If our life was an epistle, it could be one sentence. We should be pointing everyone to behold God. If our life was a sermon, what we would hope it would be is a sermon with one point, And that is, everybody look at God. For only by looking at Him can we live. When the Apostle Paul spoke to the Corinthians in his second epistle to them about what it means to be ministers of the new covenant, not merely a covenant chiseled by God in stone, but one written, carved in flesh and blood, this is what he said in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. And we all with unveiled face, beholding, everybody say beholding, beholding the glory of God are being transformed. We are being changed into the image from one degree of glory to another. What Paul is telling them that it is by looking at God that we are changed from where we are to where we will be. And one day the Bible says that we will see him face to face in heaven and we will know everything and it will be merely by looking into his face. In the same way that the covenant was transformed from one degree of glory to a greater degree of glory, we are changed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of God. This transformation can only take place by beholding our God. That's what we've been doing every week. We've been beholding our God made flesh in the life of Christ week after week after week. Beholding our God saves us. Beholding our God brings about the daily necessary sanctifying change in us. It was imperative that the invisible God that has not a body like men become visible and it is imperative that he become visible not only as a man in Bethlehem and all over Israel in the days that he walked upon this earth, but it is imperative that he become visible in our lives, in our families, before our faces every day. 
When we look at each other and compare ourselves among ourselves, when we look down on others because they haven't attained the level that we are, we begin to ebb and we begin to be conformed to the image of the flesh and the world. But when we turn our eyes upon Christ and when we look at him and we look to his example and we look to the life that he lived, something about it changes us and draws us into his glorious light. As we heard in our call to worship from Psalm 19, the heavens do this. They declare him. When we go out into the night sky and we look up at it and we see the Big Dipper coming down off the horizon or we look up at Cassiopeia or we look into uh, all of the, the, you know, the comets that come from time to time and stream across our horizon or the moon that shines in the night sky. They sing a beautiful song about the bridegroom of heaven and they cheer And they praise him like an echoing coliseum, standing to watch a strong man as he comes in and wins the race at the end. That's what it does when we go out. Luke, when you went to Colorado and Montana or wherever you went out there, isn't that what was going on in your heart? You were standing and you were looking and inside your soul, because I know you, you were going, oh, God is great. That's where these guys are from. They They got to see it every day. But as good as all that was, creation points higher than itself creation cannot telescope us into the throne room of god but the law could get us closer the law spelled him out as good as any words could do the perfect and converting law the sure testimony that makes wise the simple the right statutes of the lord that fills our hearts with joy god's pure commandments that enlighten our eyes the 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 cleanness that comes from the fear of him will, like his word, endure forever. The judgments of the Lord are indeed true and righteous altogether. The law lets us into the courts of God to see who he is, but like it was in the days of the tabernacle, we stay outside and we cannot go into the Holy of Holies by merely the letter of the law. We are outside listening to the jingling of the high priest inside as the spirit of God comes down between the cherubs and the mercy seat. And we're outside. But it was when Jesus came that the temple, uh, that the, not only did the curtain, you know, was it rent for them, but it's rent for us today when we can see Christ. A good and lovely and wondrous as all of the things were in the Old T- Testament as, 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 as glorious as the temple was and glory as, as the worship of God was there. It was a shadow of what was to come when God became man. Emmanuel, God was us. The curtains were torn and we could all see God. Beholding God changed the whole world. Now let's look back at our text together again, but let's look, look at it in its broader text. John chapter 1, starting out in verse 1, the broader applicant, the broader context of these words that I read for you today. Now remember, John the Beloved wrote these words. This was written years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was written by a much older John, a John who had suffered, a John who had seen his brothers crucified upside down and flogged and beaten and, and tormented and harried. A John that had pastored a church, a John who had gone forth evangelizing and watching men be changed by God. He then writes about Jesus coming. John is telling us, helping us understand not merely the practical facts of what happened, but who he was and why he came. 
John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John did not begin like Matthew and Luke with a list of names linking the babe born in the manger through geology to a kingly tribe of Judah or the priestly tribe of Levi. John wanted his narrative to emphasize who Jesus was before that. All of it was interesting that he came through Mary and that Joseph's family was tied in this way and that he was born in Bethlehem and that he was of the seed of David and all that was fine. But John wants us to know that before all of that, there was something else. He was a man, but before he was a man, he was God. He was not a God with a small g. He was God himself. He was a man, but not just another man. He was God come down to earth as man so man could see him face to face. The one man who could make things different for every man. Seeing him, beholding him, and his story would not be like watching the story of Abraham. Like watching the story of Moses and David where we see glimmers and glimpses of the meekness of Christ and Moses. Or the heart of the king in David that we see in Christ. Or of the friend of God that Abraham was and the faith that he walked in. Their stories could only point to. Their, old, their, sermon, their, their life could only point to. Toward, they could not change men. They could only guide men to he who could change them. The story John was telling was a window into heaven. John's story was written so that men could behold the glory of God and be changed. As he put it at the end of his narrative in John chapter 20, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Listen to the words that he's saying because they are in cap. Because in, in the, the text that we read, he's talking about that he is the life. He's the light of the world. He's the life that light is every man. And at the end, he's saying, I'm telling you this, that men might live who were dead. Now that's change. The story was written so men could see the invisible God visible in human form. Seeing this, knowing this, having faith in this could and would give them life. This is that John, what's saying from the very first chapter, and you can see he kept saying it to the last. This is John's whole point, his whole purpose, and that is mine today. John had one point message that lasted 20 chapters. Mine's only 19 pages. And I'm on page nine. His one point and mine are the same. Look at Jesus and live in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were by him and without him, him was not anything made that was made in him was life and his life was the light of men I love it you know you can hear someone talk and they talk about me and my and I and I love to hear John because it's he and him and his and he's talking about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. He's telling, it's like these arrows, wait till we get to it. It's like, it's like these arrows are pointing everywhere. Look, 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 look. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Everything without him was not anything made that was made. And it was life. The life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness and the darkness could not put it out. I love what John does here in John chapter 1, Jason. Next, what he does next. And I, I point this out for clarification now. We know that John 
is the name of the man who wrote the book of John. But the book of John was not called the book of John. You didn't go down to the bookstore and there wasn't a cover on it and it said the book of John on it. They named the book after the man because he was such a preeminent figure and obviously he wrote it, but he was such a central figure. I say this because what comes next in John 1 can easily be misunderstood. You can be reading it and you can think, well, now he's introducing himself. It's the book of John because what are the next words? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And if you're reading the book of John, it might be easy to go, oh yeah, that's why it's called the book of John. This is not the book of John. This is the book of Jesus. This is a book about him. John would not have liked the title to be the book of John. He would have liked for this to be the book of Jesus because even when he introduces John the Baptist, he doesn't even mention him by name. He says, there was the man who was sent from God. Can you see how he kind of backs into the room? There was this guy. There was this man, and you know who he was? He was a man who was sent by God. And oh yeah, he has a name. His name is John. Can you see this scene, how he backs into this? He's saying, I don't want you to get confused that this is a story about a guy named John. This is a story about a guy named Jesus. There was a man who sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but sent to bear witness of the light. Steve, are you, are you hearing this? Oh, I'm going to tell you about the light, but oh, it's not John. I'm going to tell you about a man, but he's just a man. He's just a man God sent because he sent him to talk about something else. He sent him to testify about something else. He did some good things, but that's not what I'm trying to get across to you in the story. The story is about Jesus. Did you hear it? Did you see it? The man John came to be a witness. He was a witness of the light. This is the let there be light statement of the New Testament of the creation story. If you're familiar with Genesis, you know what it is, right? Right? In the beginning, God, right? He created the heavens and the earth. What he talks about, darkness on the face of the deep. God says, he speaks, let there be light. Can you hear these parallels coming out in John chapter 1? He's trying to tell us, yes, there was a creation day. And the guy on that creation day... The first one is the guy on this creation day. Yes, things got messed up by things that were created. But the creator didn't get messed up. The source of things is not polluted. But the creation was. Genesis 1, let there be light. God said, what is said but a word. It is the word. God said, let there be light. See the parallel John is drawing here. God, word, light, in the beginning, darkness, all of it takes us back to those very first words of the scripture. He was in the world and the world was made by him. Can you hear these pronouns? And the world knew him not. He's pronouning us to death because he's pointing and he's pointing and he's pointing. Look at Jesus. John, uh, like John in the story, started before John. I'm going to tell you the story but there was something before this story. The world in the story is the same world, but it's the one 
that we're talking about was before this world. Note the verse, they're like these giant yellow arrows. It's like a paper. Have you ever seen a paper and they put the sticky arrows all over it and they're pointing? You guys ever seen these things before? You know, it's usually telling you to sign here, sign here, do this, and there's these arrows all over the thing. John's, John's Bible's got yellow arrow, yellow arrow, yellow arrow, yellow arrow. Look, 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 look. He was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came and knew his own. Who? His own. He didn't come into the people. He came to his own. He's pointing right back, back. Who is this story about? It's about him. It wasn't just that people didn't receive him. It's not about them. It's his own received him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you ever heard so many hisses and he's in all your life? And then if all of those pronouns, those big yellow pointers weren't enough to emphasize, John says all of this to clear it up. Those that received him, those that believed on his name, those people that God gave power to become the sons of God, those people, now verse 12, those people were, verse 13, they were born not of blood. They were born not of the will of flesh. They were born not of the will of man, but of God. Can you see it? It's almost like he's stopping his foot and he's pointing. Can't you see Jesus? It's not another Bible story about another man. This is the one Bible story that explains all the Bible stories. It's not merely a story. It is the story. The point of everything. Everything points to Jesus. Men will be changed, but not because they want to be changed. They will be changed not because they will to be changed. They will not be changed because other people want them to change. You will not preach them into heaven. You will not pull them into heaven. They cannot even keep themselves out of heaven. But they will get there. And if they get there, they'll get there because of Jesus. Behold your God. John is saying to his readers, his onlookers, that there will once again be light in the darkness, but it won't come from Adam. This light was before Adam. There will be life, but it won't come from Adam's seed, for it is destined only to death. The source of light and life predates Adam, though, so fear not. We can recover it. The source of life and light has not been polluted at its fountainhead because the source of life and light are not Adam. They are not the creation, but they are he who stands out of the creation and who spoke it into existence. So life and light are not in danger today. I'll take you there. Here he is. Behold your king. Behold your God and be changed. And he lays verse 14 down. Boom. And I mean, I, I'm literally, it's like there's a, I wrote kaboom in my, in my notes right here. Kaboom. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Kaboom. John bore witness of him and cried saying, and, and now John is doing it. This sounds like silly talk. If you were reading this in a novel, you would say, what is he saying? John bear witness said, hey, this is he my spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. John is going, this is not about me. I have a message, but it's not my message. 
I'm telling you about a guy, but I'm not the guy. I'm telling you about the light, but I'm not the light. Uh, yeah, I, I was before him, but that's only, it seems like that because actually he was before me. Can you see what John is doing? It almost sounds silly. This is him of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. In the fullness of his grace have we received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Man, if you take laps around a church during church, this would be the time to do it. See, this is why we're pouring over the life of Jesus. Because beholding our God changes us. We need to be changed day by day. Everybody say, we need to be changed. Only in the life of Jesus can we truly see the truth. He defines it. He interprets it because he embodied it. Peering into nature and looking at his law through imperfect eyes. Men have constantly created distortions that lie about who God is. So we must go back to the beginning, back to the source, back where it's unpolluted, back where it goes, back to where God spoke the world, ruled by darkness, where death reigned, and watched a let there be light again. So what does that mean for us? That's exciting, Pastor Mark. Wow. We'll run around the building. God's big. God's great. Looking at him, that's what we need to do. What's that mean? It means that if we want to understand the other 62 books of the Bible, we better understand the first four in the New Testament. Because even though they came after, they were before. You understand? They defined it all. Jesus started before all things and he made all things. What does this mean for us today? Is this all about Bible study? No. And yes. You see, it's all about truth, truth that transforms, truth that makes us free. Now, this week I heard Dr. Stephen Lawson, who was teaching the expository preaching, I heard him say something that's really good, and I hope you remember today because I, I liked it a lot. Good things become bad things when they keep us from the best thing. Come on now, I need, I need to get a, you know, come on. Good things, say it with me, good things, become bad things when they keep us from the best things. Now, Pastor Mark, you're here declaring the word of God, not the word of Dr. Lawson. Well, do you know why I like what he says? Because all he's saying is something Jesus already said even better than that. In Matthew 23, Jesus lists a long list of wonderful things the Pharisees did. He doesn't say that they were bad. In fact, he says that we should do them. Remember that? I'll read it for you. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, he's been talking about a lot of good things they're doing. The whole chapter 23. Not everything was horrible that they did. They were making disciples. They were... You know, doing all, they were doing all these right and righteous things. And he says, woe unto you for you tithe of your mint and your ants and your cumin, and you have, but you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, which are judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not left the other undone. Can you hear it? Good things become bad things when they keep us from the 
best things. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not that you shouldn't delve into the minutia of everything that's in there and try to do it all. But I'm telling you, if it takes all your time to do all of that, and you don't do these other things, you really ought to not waste your time. Can you see how he told them this? Even spending too much time thinking about, caring about, and obeying God's rules and all of its intricacies and implications was a bad thing when it kept them from the best thing. Are you following what I'm saying here? Well, how can it be? He's not saying that these things aren't good. He's not saying they're not, they're not wonderful. He's saying they're not the best things. Everybody say they're not the best things. And if a man's only got time to do one thing, you know, we went to visit a city and we're going to be in the city of Vienna. And we're like, we're going to be in there. What if we could only be here one day? What would you do? Now, there's plenty of wonderful things in Vienna. But if you're going to go to Vienna, you don't see everything. You see what you can see when you're in Vienna. Does that make sense? And in life, we only have so much time. We only have so much life. And you can choose to spend it on what you want to spend it on. And there was a way that these guys lived, looking at the law and lived their lives that was spent on doing good things, but they weren't doing the best things. Now hold on to your mule because I'm pulling the cannons closer. How are you doing the same thing? How have you become absurd? You know, when you think, have you guys seen pictures of these Pharisees with these... Uh, these things piled in between their, their eyes and they're like sticking up. Have you guys ever seen these guys, these, these Jews? You ever seen them? Think they're, you know, they got the big long curls. You ever seen the Hasidim? They have these long curls that come down here and they, and they, have, these, they have the Bible and these little things and they stick off their forehead like a, like a unicorn. Have you guys ever seen this? Now, what does the Bible say we're supposed to do? Put the law, what? As frontlets between your eyes. Well, pr praise God, they're doing a good thing. Isn't that fantastic? In their fantasticness, in their desire, they want to love God, they want to do it so right, they become a freak show. And everybody, instead of going around and saying, look how great their God is, everybody's looking at them and saying, look how weird those people are. Those people are weird. Are the cannons getting too close? Because they're about to get, I'm moving them in a little bit more. You guys ready? Woe after woe after woe, he blasted them. Have we become absurd as we think these Pharisees are? How does what we see in Jesus' life as he was presented plainly to us in the Gospels, showing us precisely what he did with his time, what he did with his life, how he treated people, what people thought about him. Is that what they're saying about us? Are we doing what he did? And we go, well, we, we weren't the Son of God. We're not the Messiah. You know, that's, I, that's not what I'm trying to say. The Pharisees were doing in their, what was right in their own eyes and they could prove it by the Bible. And I'm sure they loved nothing more than taking weeks defending the little practices that they did that were more right than their neighbor's practices. This is what the flesh loves to do. We love to be right. Everybody say, we love to be right. 
When I find a, a good brother who loves God and who wants to be right, and all he cares about is being right, I, I, I like to try to gently, if I can, lead him to the point where I go, can you show me that in the fruit of the Spirit? Where being right is one of the fruit of the Spirit? And generally at this point, they go, wow. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, weightier matters. Amen? Jesus said, or John said about the Lord, that all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I know people who work hard to fulfill all the law, who have no idea what it even means to love their neighbor. They don't even know who their neighbor is. But they're really good at doing the particular things. The cannons are coming in closer. I'm not closing. You can run for the back door now. You better do it if you're going to do it. What Jesus spent his life doing is going around to people who did what we do and did what they were doing. And he kept going up to them and going, stop it. What is wrong with you people? You will travel land and sea to make someone live just like you. And what you'll turn them into is a twofold child of hell. Because really, you look really good. He blasted people for how good they look. How many of you like it when your grandparents or your parents or your neighbors go, man, you guys look like a beautiful family. How many of you like that? Man, I do. I like it when people come in a restaurant like, man, your family's so beautiful. We want to buy your food. Oh, I like that. Oh, man, this feels so good. How many of you like it when their kids are bouncing up and bouncing off the walls and there's food all over their face and they're going crazy and they come up to you and go, how do you do it? <laughs> well, come over and I will teach you. I will instruct you. I will disciple you. I will bring you into the techniques that make this possible. And they go, oh, oh, you're great. Oh, don't you love it when they do that? Isn't that great? Come on. The, the cannon is aimed right at you right now. Jonathan Edwards said when he preaches, he sets up his, ca his cannons and then through each point, he moves them closer and closer and closer. That's what I'm talking about. And then he says, fire. And I haven't fired yet. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. We don't have time to do good. We're too busy doing good to do good. Because the good things become bad things when they keep us from the best things. Wow. Someone just threw something right across the church. That was fantastic. <laughs> he went around spending time with people that gave him a bad reputation. He was a friend of sinners. I love it when they go, your church is so close. They just love each other so much. You're in each other's homes and you eat with each other and you care for each other. Oh, you're so, oh, isn't that beautiful? And you go, oh. yes, we're like the book of Acts. We, we fellowship daily from house to house and we eat our meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And, and God just adds to us. If you would do this at your congregation, you would have the lovely people of God there too. Don't you love it? The cannon is aimed at me because I love it. Come to my, you want to see a good church? Come to my church. 
I got some, I, man, I got the nicest people. I just don't remember Jesus ever doing anything like that. I don't, I re, people were going, that guy, I think he's a drunk. You know what? He hangs around some pretty questionable characters. I mean, every time we just see him going into that, that place over there, you know who hangs out over there? You know who those people are? You tracking with me, anybody? Jesus did not start a family. Oh, my word. Don't, don't get scared and run for the door. But he, did you know Jesus did not start a family? He did not raise as many kids as he can for the glory of God and make those children his chief disciples. Did you know Jesus didn't do that? Jesus did not do that. Now, is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? Everybody say, that's a good thing. But the good things become the bad things when they keep us from the best things. He didn't encourage people to call their congressmen to try to get new laws passed in favor of godly living. He didn't teach about the best diet to eat or the best essential oil to wear. You tracking with me? You, anybody scared yet? I'm not saying home birth is bad or that mandulas are really, you know, witches in disguise. Or that if you play contemporary, you know, worship music backwards, it, it says, in the, you know, it subliminally, join a mega church where they have their own Starbucks. They, it may actually be right in there. I don't know. What I am saying is that I think it's easier than we think to have allowed the good things to become bad things and keep us from the best things. We are not to be running from the darkness. We should be running toward the light. We should not be cleaning the outside of the cup first, but the inside of the cup that the outside might be clean. He wasn't saying drink out of dirty cups. He's saying that the good things have become bad things because they have kept you from the best things. I think I personally as a pastor have presided unwittingly over a church that has become a cluster issue driven church smothered in good things when we could maybe have been building on the best things. And I've said before, I'll say it again, just so you don't get too scared. Yeah, I believe as strong as ever. Pretty much everything you probably think I do. But what I am saying is maybe what I hope you might be saying is, oh God, teach me the best things. May instead of my life point at me and my children and my way and my rightness, I would be like John, who's too afraid. Even, it, it, it wasn't me. I'm not the light. John's not the light. You know that guy? He was sent from God. No, it's not about him. He's a man. He was sent from God. His, yeah, his name was John. He came to bear witness to the light. He wasn't that light, though. Do you know who the light was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. That's the life we should be living. May I learn what those things are from beholding God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, transform us. Save us from all of the good that fills our days. And lead us to the best of your bounty, O oh Lord. Lead our church to the best of what you have. Remember Isaiah? We were reading Isaiah chapter 6. Remember that? Isaiah confronted Israel with the image of God in the temple to try to call them to the best things. Because see, they were concerned with the good things.
He says, you know, with your lips sound really like good people. That's on the outside, but inside, your heart is far from me. Isaiah is, offers the best, most beautiful, most complete Old Testament picture of Jesus than any other book, right? Think of all the verses, right? He was despised and rejected of men, right? A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, right? There was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He was a sheep, led as a lamb to the slaughter. We, we, it goes on and on all through the book of Isaiah. Beautiful pictures of Christ. His message could most easily, the message of this prophet could be boiled down, though, in a doxology. When I memorized when I was 15 years old, and I, it stays with me today. When I, when I get excited about God, you'll hear me just shoot this right out. And I never thought of it. I was, it was literally, I, I had one of the kids run and grab my laptop this morning before I left. I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta throw this in. Isaiah's doxology in chapter 12 says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall we draw waters out of the wells of salvation and in that day shall we say, praise be the Lord. Make known his deeds among the people for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Isaiah knew the only way to change the world he lived in was to point them to the greatness of God and not to the greatness of the lifestyle, of the manner, of the, the intricacies of how he did all the things he did. Those aren't bad. Do them. But don't be a people pointing at you. You can't save people. Remember John the Baptist, he was not the light, he was pointing to the light. He was a witness that pointed to the light. When he saw Jesus, do you remember what he said? What were the first words that came out of his mouth? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And after he saw him, he began to take his disciples and go, it's time to leave me, guys. There he is. He's the one I've been waiting for. And what did he say? I must decrease that he might increase and John became so great and he was he was a great man he became so great that he had to have his head cut off why because for people to see Jesus they needed to not look at John how many feel like you need your head cut off today the gospel according to the Robinettes the gospel according to the Foises, the Cusels, the Chapmans. How about, let's point them to Jesus. Amen? When the way we live makes people point at us, we have like, we have taken their attention off of him. We must be like John, John the good preacher. John drew a crowd, but John knew that he must decrease. Instead of looking at him, they needed to behold their God. The image of the invisible God before their eyes would change them like he, the son of Adam, could never do. Something we must do as well. Our good is not the best. Do you remember when the children of Israel were out there and they were, they'd been complaining and fiery serpents were sent among them? They put a serpent on a pole and they lifted it up and they said, look at that and be saved. Look at that and be healed. And they were. 
And that was a merely a picture of what our lives should be. Our lives should be saying, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Let us pray. Lord, it is so easy to get distracted by all of the lights and the bells and the whistles and the sirens which compete for our attention. But Lord, I'm ready to pull the plug on those things today. For they are merely machines of distraction. Lord, I want to look into your face. I want to live my life before you always. Beholding your face. When I look at myself, I don't want to look at those around me and compare myself as though somehow I'm better or they're worse. But I want to look at you and say, Lord, what would you have me to be? Lord, I want to look at your life and your word and see what you did and ask myself, am I doing that? I want to look at how you spoke to people and how you loved them and forgave them and led them to repentance and kindness and gentleness. And say, Lord, is that what I'm doing? And if I can do that, Lord, maybe I can homeschool my kids. Maybe I could raise some kids for the glory of God, but Lord, that's second, third, fourth, not first. Let you be first in my life. Let you be what I am pointing to with my whole life and my whole heart. May people listen to my sermons and not go, what a sermon, what a preacher, what a pastor. Lord, I know I'm not there. But when they leave this place, may they say in their hearts, oh, what a great God. What a Savior, what grace God has bestowed upon us. Oh, I want to love Him and serve Him and be like Him. Oh God, may that be our heart's cry today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.